Yes, coming in hot with the Thierry Henry of episodes, episode 14. It is the Football Played on Paper podcast. I'm Sean, and I'm joined by a man who gave himself a penalty via VAR while walking into this podcast recording. <laughs> That's clever. Oh, That's it. What, a, what a weekend for VAR, hey? Bloody hell, it's making the game better, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I think those – I'm so glad we've got those areas of grey that we didn't even know existed, um, nicely ironed out. So, look. A little bit of controversy um, with VAR, which we'll touch on throughout the episode, I think. It's the only way to do it with VAR. But um, Jose Mourinho's goalkeeping coach was sent off after full time. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Um, they had a bit of a disagreement with Brucey's boys. So, so I thought, well, if Nuno Santos is getting himself sent off, what other two managers would you like to see in a fight? And more importantly, who would win? Yeah, so what I've done here is I have chosen my two managers and they're both current day Premier League managers. And then after I've chosen it and got my answer down, I thought, gee, I could have gone back and had some real doozies. But um, what I've gone with in the blue corner, I've gone with uh, Sean Dyche. Um, And I would imagine that Dyche would be a a bit of a grappler. Um, He'd like fight nice and close and and get get right in your face and then step forward and bring the pressure. Um, And over in the red corner, we've got Roy. Roy Hodgson, Frail, Riddle, and um, and basically all I'm looking here to do is to see um, how badly Dyche can bash uh, Roy Hodgson. And um, and does that end Roy would be my question to the people. I just think if you have those two going, I think you've underestimated Roy there. You've got the really? wily old fox here. He would have seen some shit. He's like 100. Yeah, like, that's true. He's a wily old bastard. And like he's the oldest manager in football for a reason. Like, it takes a bit to get rid of him. I think he'd do, I imagine, Josh. I imagine he'd be open to a bite, Roy, too. He, he would not He would be prepared to go to that level oh, yeah. bite someone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so so the, I've, got, I've, got, I've got Dosh in, a, in an absolute pounding, really. Yeah, so. <laughs> and a potential hospital visit for Roy. Who have you got? So you've gone with a classy fair with a blue corner and a red corner. I've gone in the back of a McDonald's car park in Bankstown. And I have got... Reno Gattuso yep. versus Diego Simeone. Because I want to see a scrap. <laughs> I want to see two blokes who are willing to die in that car park. I and think I the McDonald's car park is the most appropriate venue for these two to fight too. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine where better. Like you put them in a cage and they'd rip the walls off the cage. Um, no, I think Reno Gattuso and Simeone. And look, I don't think there can be a winner. I think they both die because they're both willing to go that far. Like, um, yeah. so look, yeah, you got you got to offer street rules in that fight too. Like those two aren't; they're not like doing like you know twelve ounce gloves and and you know oh, no. no orifices or anything like that. <laughs> Don't bother. Don't bother. If you like, if you, if you want to fish hook someone, fish hook someone doesn't bother me. Bite, do whatever you got to do. Um, so look, I think I think it ends in and a draw with draw. Both going for a draw. Yeah. yeah, both dead. Um, okay. And look, as you said, biting was um, was popular in that bout, I imagine. But <laughs> so this brings me into our weekly happenings this week. So your hero, not mine, Luis Suarez came on in the 71st minute for Atletico. He bagged an assist after a minute and then bagged a double against Granada. Um, and then Diego Costa said, it's great to have him on board. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of us can bite and then one of us can fight. He actually said that, did he? He actually said that. He just doesn't give a shit, Costa. Jeez. Um, so I'm sure they're going to get the nickname the Bash Brothers, aren't they? Mighty oh, Ducks. I hope so. Jeez, that's a good reference. I love the Mighty Ducks. Um, so, look, that was that was the first 
big thing of this week. The second thing was handball has football fans everywhere tearing their hair out. And uh, Jamie Carragher said on Sky Sports that um, they got – so Newcastle got a late, late penalty and Jamie Carragher slammed the handball rule um, against the dominant Tottenham side saying it's ruining the game. I, I agree with him. I think there's way too many penalties given like that. And some of the penalties given, the I know the ball actually does touch the hand, but it doesn't influence the um, the play in any type of way. And the defender in various situations, um, we might dive into a couple of them inside this pod, but the defenders aren't conscious of where the ball is or where it's going. And the other thing to look at, I think, is the player's reaction. So a lot of the players just played on, um, especially on the Spurs peno. Um, no one really appealed for it except for um, Big Jonch. Uh, and so, yeah, and the referee spent ages at the monitor trying to work out what actually happened. Um, Eric Dyer had no idea. Like, he was legitimately jumping for the ball and Andy Carroll headed it down onto his arm. I just, yeah, there's too many penos for me. What Do you buy into the Carragher's point or not? Oh, yeah, the VAR's gone crazy. The handballs are just ridiculous. Like, I think we're going to have to go and revisit that rule now because it's just, like, Andy Carroll header normally is a, a beautiful sight, but, like, that... There was absolutely nothing that I could do, and no one got an advantage. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. That that's the that's the key point, isn't it? It just like those they sort of collided in the air. Um, one headed it straight into the other, and the ball just dropped to the floor. Like it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't influence the the game in any type of way. No, um, but then it influenced in a very negative way. We'll touch on that later. So, look, the last thing I want to talk about is arms and where they are. And um, I know you were very excited to get a 36-year-old Thiago Silva into the Premier League, and um, he was fantastic on the weekend from a oh, perspective. Me, you want to, mate. But, then, <laughs> but then I've got my Brum hat on. Um, but, look, <laughs> what I love most about this was he was stinking the joint up. But then at halftime, like the ultimate bit of shit house there. So, Cesar Azpilicueta comes on and he takes the armband. Um, so Frank Lampard said, um, Diego Silva's not speaking the language, but it doesn't matter with someone like him. Well, Frank, it does. Like, <laughs> Cesar Azpilicueta literally came and took the armband off him to steer that sinking ship. Um, so look, I think, I think we can roll into the flavor of the pod now, but that's been the key factors this week, I think. Yeah, it's been a big week, hasn't it? Um, so, flavor of the pod, we are going to review um, the next match day. And there's some big games in here, some big talking points and heaps of goals. Then we're off to um, have a look at transfer chat. Then we're into the mailbag. And then, geez, tough week for Colos Multi. But we'll uh, we'll have to touch on that one. <laughs> we have um, to dissect that one. We do. But where else to start with our Premier League review? Where else do you start other than the flying foxes mugging off those dirty manks? How about that? Leicester 5, City 3. So, look, I suppose... City 2, mate. Oh, City 2, shit. Um, So, look, I suppose the important thing for our listeners to understand that you are a Leicester fan and you have been since 2015-16, previously with Manchester City, Chelsea before that, um, Barcelona when, when the game was great. So, this has been quite a rocky ride for you. But, look, as a Leicester fan... How was it? Finally get one over on the citizens. Yeah, I don't know about fi- finally. We beat them <clears throat> in our title-winning season with um, two Robert Huth headers. Um, rewind and watch that. That was that's some great goals by um, Robert Huth. But what a game this was. I think earlier on in, I think it was the last pod we did, um, <clears throat> I, I sort of thought that Leicester would come out and and not just play everyone behind the ball. You thought they'd sit in and counter-attack. I suppose they probably did a 
something in the in the middle. Like I think if you look at the possession stats, it was like 70-30. But I think watching a lot of the game, Leicester um, sort of did control a lot of the game and I was quite impressed with their performance. But the first thing I want to discuss is the cross. So Neil Orr, cross comes over, gets flicked out to Mares, bouncing on his right foot. Um, I think if I'm in the stands at this point, I'm bracing. Um, I'm putting my beer down so I don't cop it. No, with his right foot, Judas has shanked one into the top corner. What are your thoughts on that goal? Judas really, shanked. that was moving. They, oh, that was some hit. The goals were the goals in open play in this game were very good, weren't they? Um, but yeah, that was that was stunning, and that was early too. So I suppose it's even more credit to Leicester that they could bounce back after copping that early goal. But the moment I knew Leicester had won the game was when Maris didn't celebrate. What a coward! Yeah, okay. like you've got oh, to really, really like you've scored an absolute banger, and you go and prance over to the corner, and you don't like. I think Evan wrote an email in the other week. You've really got to give it to him. Yeah, oh, I, I suppose I don't. I don't wouldn't like to really give it to him, but I'd like him to celebrate. Yeah, like I don't want him to really give it to him, but I don't want him to do that thing where he says like sorry for um you know earning 300 grand a week now at my new club and scoring against you and doing my job. Like I want him to do something in the middle. So some sort of celebration would be nice, especially after that hit. Bloody hell, that that was really, really nice. Um, but Leicester were just too slick and too fast for um, City inside the front third. Three penalties to Leicester. Do you want to go through them? Because I think I've gone through them with a fine-tooth comb and I think they're all penalties. Slip ball through to Vardy for the first one. Walker caught too wide, pulls his left shoulder back with his left arm. Pen, yes or no? Yeah, I think I think they're all penalties. I have I have no disputing. I think the problem the problem for City is they just they just didn't react. Like they they kept getting like it was really good to see a team be as comfortable and dominant as they were without the ball. Like I think that's I think that's like everyone talks about. Oh, you got the ball, you've got you dominate in the game, but I just did never felt that way. Um, Leicester were in control, and City just City were passing the ball for passing sake. And um, Pep Guardiola has spent the GDP of entire countries to solve this defensive problem, and he's still got the same Terrible. same issues. Like they, they were awful in defence. Awesome. So, so Garcia gives away the next penalty. Why are you wearing a helmet? It looks daft as. Oh, he's like a race horse with blinkers on, isn't he? He's just got no idea. And he just ran right into the um, back of Vardy for the second one, definitely. You know, and the last one was um, Madison cutting in front of Mendy, and Mendy doing something similar to what he did, what Walker did to um, Vardy earlier on. So, yeah, all penalties for for me. And I probably agree with your point about um, Guardiola's team having the ball and passing the ball side to side. But I, at the same time. I agree with you. I think Leicester controlled them. So Leicester were deciding where they passed the ball. Leicester were deciding um, what they were going to do with the ball, whether they were going to go forward or back or sideways. So Leicester's shape, they were controlling them even though they didn't have the ball. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I suppose the only um, the only thing I was thinking about in this, I don't want to get down the The technical side's not my thing. I'm a pregnant pragmatist but i i think with all this money that pep guardiola spent on his defensive issues i think the style of play is more of an issue for his defense than the players like i think those defenders are good defenders but like the way that city play where everyone's good on the ball 
like and they're constantly sort of moving higher and higher and higher and like the defenders are constantly exposed. I think that's more of an issue for his defenders than the actual defenders themselves. Yeah, like, I they agree. get exposed I, a lot. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's probably one of his biggest things. So people are thinking like, why didn't he solve this defensive problem, and bring someone in? But uh, like, it almost doesn't matter if like if Van Dyke's back there and um, Sergio Ramos playing at centre back together, like they're just so isolated and so exposed. Those two centre backs. It would almost be um, the worst position and the worst club to play at if you're a centre-back because you are just going to be exposed all the time and you're going to look terrible because you're going to have players running at you with no support behind you and no nothing in front of you. So, yeah, I, I probably agree with that point as well. Um, but how hard was Jamie Vardy hitting those penalties? Yeah, why did Tielemans take the last one? What well, Vardy was, was off. Oh, okay. So Vardy, Vardy was off. Yeah, Vardy had, yeah, he got his hat trick, his goal bonus, and the match ball. So that one <laughs> he departed the pitch. Um, but the other cracker was so you've got um, Mares's volley, you've got um, Vardy's back heel from the, the cross where he sort of back heeled it into the ground and popped over. And then you've got Madison's um, cut inside. Um, get in front of Walker and then just that whip into the top left corner. So my question to you is, which goal is the best goal in that game and which goal would you rather score out of those three? Oh, there's three pens. I don't know which one I like the best. They're all... No, not pens. Oh, those sorry. Three <laughs> <pretty much>. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to also make it clear just how bad... Um, Bernard Mendy was. Can we like? Let's just not. Yeah, but which goal do you want to score first? Um, the the goal again. you want to score. I think you want to score Madison's one because I think the vo- the volley's got a bit of a jeopardy about it. Like he just whacks it. Like he doesn't know too much about it. Madison's is he cuts inside. It's very measured. Um, I know he's a poor man, Jack Grealish, but like he just hit that so perfectly. I think you go with Madison's, don't you? Yeah, they're they're all good goals for different reasons. As you say. Um, Judas bashed his really hard. Um, the Vardy back heel was very, very cheeky and very, um, very intelligent. But yeah, I probably agree with you. Madison had the pick of the bunch, so yeah, I'd rather I'd pick Madison's goal. Um, and yeah, so that would be the goal that I would rather score. But Vardy's back heel, that cheeky one, um, he go back and watch in his first goal for England. He scored a goal exactly the same as that um, when he debuted for England. Unbelievable. All right, so look, this isn't the Leicester City podcast. Um, let's move on to football played on paper. So let's let's talk about the other one. So we're going to do something a little bit different here because we've got uh, one of our valued listeners has emailed in. <laughs> I just thought I'd read this out. Hi, lads. Still waiting on that email etiquette checklist. Good start. I thought I would take the liberty of doing your match report on Manchester um, Brighton versus Manchester United. As Jobber's obvious bias towards this means he will definitely cock it up. Facts. <laughs> Please see below. <laughs> Just in case I was wondering which direction the email went. What's he got? Some dot points? Or? <laughs> no, it's a fucking – it's pride and prejudice. What absolute horseshit. I never thought I would agree with terrible pundit. Definitely not ex-Spurs manager Tim Sherwood, but he was absolutely right with how he described this game as daylight robbery. United were absolutely deplorable for 90 minutes and still somehow walk off the field with a win. Also, where is the official goal man? Measuring tool Jose Mourinho when you need him. There is no way that you can hit the post five times in one game, breaking an EPL record in the process without some shady North Macedonian betting syndicate being involved. I'll just put a I'll just put a caveat on that one. Um, we are in no way suggesting that any North Macedonian 
betting syndicates are involved, that I know of. Um, I simply won't have it. I'm guessing the refs are going over to the screen on the side of the field to catch up on keeping with the Kardashians. That was cancelled, Sam, um, because they definitely aren't watching the game. How could they possibly rescind the first penalty on Connolly? It's either a penalty for Brighton or a yellow card to Connolly for diving. The only bright spot in this shit show was Neil Morpay revealing himself as the absolute shithouser of the South. The audacity of the man to slide a Panenka penalty followed up with a crying baby celebration is top shelf, especially after what happened with Arsenal last season. Where is the justice in this cruel existence that we call life? Final score, United 3, Brighton 2. Or in an alternate reality where North Macedonian betting syndicates don't exist, again, um, not my opinion, United 3, Brighton 8. <laughs> kind regards, UTID, United till I die. Yeah, well, I got a similar text today, um, not as not as long, but um, saying that Manchester United should have lost eight three. So yeah, that's it's a popular opinion, isn't it? Um, no, that that was good actually. Um, a bit a bit deep, but severe um, <laughs> allegations in there. But, uh, I agree with the um, Panenka penalty. Very very cheeky and um, very very nice. Um, would you be brave enough, as brave as um, that uh, Malpay to to do that in the game or not? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. No, that was crazy. I, and against the Haya too, he's like a very good shot stopper. Like he's quite like that's probably his strong suit. He's sort of moving sharply side to side, not his handling. Um, very brave. But look, Sam's right. Um, United were absolutely shit house. Like just so bad. Um, and like I think eight three flatters United still. Like United didn't deserve three. Um, Brighton were absolutely all over him and. Like they were, honestly, they were fantastic. Like they were so good, Brighton, um, and they should have absolutely belted them. I don't know how Manchester United stayed in that game outside of the aid of the post. Um, defensively, shocking, absolutely abhorrent. I still don't understand what they're doing back there. And the worst thing about it is we're two games into the season, but like again, so in the past eighteen months, Ollie has changed absolutely nothing. So is. If Ollie keeps going the way he's going, is he in trouble? I think the performances aren't good and the results are, well, I'm not going to say they're as bad as the performances, but results are patchy and the form and the performance is bad. But what, I think it you- goes it goes back to like like these big big clubs like United, like you're going to get good players, but they're, like you have to make them better. Like they come to United to get better and be part of this like an play under the world like he's just not he's not in the top 15 manager in the premier league i i i think ed woodward's got to have like a really long hard look at this and go like is the is the Jaden sancho transfer linked to the fact that oh you got to stump up the cash because if he really wanted to move at that price point if he, like he can push for it um but is, is he that eager to play under ollie probably not well, that's the thing that everyone keeps missing. Everyone thinks that um, Manchester United just won't stump up the rest of the cash or that um, Dortmund won't agree to it. But, yeah, one of the biggest things has to be Sancho saying, yeah, well, for a critical part of my development and my development years, um, is Ollie going to take me from where I am to where I want to be? That's probably one of the biggest questions he has to answer. I think the other thing watching the game is, um, like, I know you can only see so much on the TV, but, like, he doesn't seem to do that much actual coaching. Like you see Pep on the sidelines and he's up and he's about and he's telling players to move here and there. And you see Mourinho too, like he's kicking every ball. Like Diego Simeone's, you know, biting every bite. Um, 
Like these, yeah, like they're actually point, yeah. managing teams. Like they're they're out there changing things. They're solving problems. Like he's not. It's, he's yeah. not doing anything, and he's like, "Oh, go out and express yourself." It just seems like such a cop out for a manager who obviously isn't at the level that he needs to be. Um, just very poor. And play him again on Wednesday. So, what needs to happen um, for either a Manchester United to turn it around or? Ollie to um, start to be um, on the chopping block. Like, does he have to lose a, a couple of games, or is it a long way down the track? Um, what do you think? I think I think to change things positively, I think um, he needs something external. So he needs a transfer. He needs someone to come in. Same way Bruno Fernandez did, and you know, brighten things up a bit because obviously it just brings a change. It's different. It's exciting. Um, and generally, they're bringing in players who are better than the current players. So I think mm. that helps in the short term. But it just papers over the cracks. Um, in for him to get fired, he needs to keep letting the boys perform absolutely terribly, and we need to start seeing the results go south. Like that—that that is not a game that United deserve to win. It's not a game they deserve to be in. Like, yeah, they didn't deserve a point really. But we might leave that game with this quote from Bruno Fernandez. Brighton said they played better, but the point is to score goals, not to hit the crossbar or the post. We won. Thanks, Bruno. Got him. So, so, so look from one <laughs> from one uh, from one player who actually might be able to walk out of that game with his held, head held slightly higher to one a Portuguese speaker who cannot. Thiago Silva uh, played a very big part. So we have Chelsea three, West Brom three. What did you think of this one? I was so disappointed for the Albion. Honestly, they they got three nil up, um, and then I was just so disappointed to watch them not be able to hang on to, to that lead um, and get all three points. I think if you were to say to them at the start, you want to draw, they'd take it. I think after your 3-0 up, yeah, it's really, really disappointing. 3-0 up at home um, to then go and cop three is, is very disappointing. But I think you got some bright signs in that first half for Albion to, to look forward to and, and to build on. Um, like it would have been better for their confidence in moving forward if they had been behind and come forward um, like that to get a draw. But, yeah, it, it is a little bit disappointing. But the um, Chelsea goals, uh, I was, uh, the interplay, I was really impressed with. So what about um, Callum Hudson adoys Adoy interplay? Yeah, I think yeah, he was excellent. Um, I thought he was good. I thought Chelsea actually weren't that bad. Like the scoreline probably was – Sort of flattering to West Brom in a sense, like they took their chances, they applied a lot of pressure, that was great. But I thought Chelsea looked pretty slick. Um, but Frank hasn't solved those defensive issues just yet. Like yeah, Chelsea had um, 22 shots. Yeah, well, I, I think that Chelsea are a bit of a slow burn this season, so I don't think they're going to be flying out there. They've just got too many um, signings to bring in to bet in to help. So I think they're going to be a slower burn than um, most other teams. So I think I'm expecting their results initially early to be um, patchy. But, um, yeah, I think they've obviously got goals in them, and if they can sort out that defense, um, they'll be much better for it. But what about Silver's performance? Oh, it was so, I know you love your stats, so I think it's um I think it's Opta keep the stats for the Premier League. So right now he is statistically the worst player in the Premier League. <laughs> so, and Marcos Alonso um had a bit of a howler in there as well. He headed the ball back. The header, yeah. yeah Callum right. Robinson, but I think if you're a better centre half and a little bit quicker, <laughs> you probably prevent that one too. 
Yeah, and then he, um, he slipped over. I got oh, wasn't that the great goal. to watch? Mm. He slipped over. What an idiot! <laughs> oh, I really enjoyed the um, the good footballing men who were pundits just saying it, all of them um, reviewed that, and every single one of them ended with "Welcome to the Premier League." <laughs> Yeah, oh, I'm it, talking Sher- Tim Sherwood ended with that. Um, Alan Kirbish, um he, he ended with it as well. So, couple yeah. of good, good footballing men. Um, but look, the, I think Thi- Chelsea aren't helping Thiago Silva either. So when he was at PSG, uh, Marquinhos tended to come a bit deeper to get the ball off him. But Chelsea plays so high, like <laughs> once he's exposed, he's exposed and he's done. Cause he, he does not move well. He moves every bit of those 36 years. Um, so. Yeah, what did you think about what did you think about um, Kepa being dropped? So I think everyone knew that Kepa was going to be dropped. Um, not everyone picked Willie Carvalho to get the shirt though. Uh, Willie Caballero. I wish it was Willie Carvalho. Um, you- Willie, Willie Caballero got the start and <laughs> didn't go well for him either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Willie, I thought he was okay. Oh, uh, cop three at West Brom. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but he's, he's, not, he's not at fault for any of those goals. No, but it just doesn't look good, does it? Like, um, I think they're they're waiting for um, Mendy Mendy to come in. Yeah, bloody hell, Frank Frank's got some work to do with that defence still, which makes me extremely happy. But um, yeah, look, it was it was entertaining. It was a very entertaining game. All right, where are we off to now? Um, so look, we're going to going to th- cast our net a little wider and uh, head out to what I would say was the shock of the weekend. So West Ham. Four, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. Wolves just not at the races. What did you think? Yeah, so this game was a shock, as you say, and I think it's Wolves can just put it down as to one of those games, one of those weeks, and, and move on. I think I think if they spend any more time on it than that, um, it could spell spell trouble for them. But the first goal um, is where it went wrong for West Ham's. Uh, for Wolves, sorry. Um, so West Hammer on the break, Antonio um, breaks forward and um, Bowley fouls him in the middle of the pitch on the breakaway. Great foul. Tactical foul, brings him down, stops the game, slows the game. But the thing that they don't do is then they don't stand on the ball or they don't kick the ball away. They just leave the ball there. West Ham take a free kick fast, um, whip it out wide and, and then Bowen um, gets on his left foot, tucks inside and whips a nice left foot goal. Great finish, um, bottom call into the bottom corner, but I think it's just yeah, it's uncharacteristic of Wolves to just not have that um, football IQ to either kick the ball away um, or stand on the ball and make sure they don't take a, a quick free kick. They did the first thing very well, which is um, foul him. But after that, you got to stand on the ball. Silly by Wolves. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're normally quite sort of street smart Wolves in the way they approach their football. But West Ham just like um, they were just a different team. Like they, like I thought Jared Jared Bowen was um, very impressive for me. Like I know he got two goals. That first goal I thought was excellent, um, and he could have had a hat trick. But I think West Ham had like a lot of good performers, which I think is like absolutely inconsistent with their season. So um, I thought even across the back four, I thought um, Balbuena was okay. Neto caused him some problems. Aaron Cresswell was really good. Masaku was really good as well. Um, Declan Rice. Uninspiring, but I don't think that good anyway. That was a, I think he played the pass to Bowen for the first one. But Thomas Suchek was really good, and um, Antonio. Michael Antonio was really, yeah, Michael Antonio wow. was really good. They just couldn't cope really with him. Well. They could so not cope it, with him. 
They couldn't cope with him. He's too powerful and, and too pacey. Um, he hasn't been starting recently either, so I think he comes in and out of the team. But every time I've seen him play, I've been rather impressed with him. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a, he's a great player and deserves more game time. Um, I wanted to ask you about Rui Patricio um, and his goalkeeping performance, um, especially on, um, I think it was the second goal, um, that uh, Suchek's header at the front post. I think he just went down very early, don't you think? Um, yeah. I thought Rupert could have done better. So I think uh, for, for memory, he's one of those stay-on-your-line type keepers. Um, like he's a very good like shot-stopping type of keeper. He's not very good at coming off. But, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't great. But I just don't think any Wolves players were at the races, to be honest. I don't know if they got something else on. Um, yeah. Great, great performance by West Ham. And um, I'll probably put that down to um, David Moyes. Not nice. being at the ground because of COVID, <laughs> and oh, um, still Pierce leading the boys out. Hey, bloody hell, Pierce, psycho! Psycho. <laughs> yeah, psycho. <laughs> you get the closest looking bloke to Moisey you could find. I didn't realise that. I, I don't know. It didn't even occur to me. Um, no, he couldn't be there. Yeah, he had he had, he had Rona, um, and I thought that West Ham were going to get battered because of the disruption um, in in their camp. They had two players. Um, who couldn't play, and they had Moisey not there, but no, Stuart Pearce getting it done. Do you give Psycho. the job? Do you give the job to Psycho now? I don't think you give the job to him, but if you're Moisey, you stay. You stay at home for another week. Yeah, dial the bloody dial it in. Seems to be working dial for in. you. Um, all right. So then, I suppose the next surprise packet here: Everton two, Palace one. So Toffee's not coming unstuck anytime soon. Ah, uh, clever, clever. I haven't got the drums ready, but yeah, that's clever. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, they were good. They were good. They did enough. They um, Palace are, Palace are a wily team, so I think that Everton doing enough getting uh, going, going there and getting the points after what Crystal Palace did to a very strong Manchester United team um, was quite impressive. And Dominic Calvert Lewin in the goals again. So good. He's been really, really good this season. Um, the player whisper. Whisperer is getting a tune out of him, don't you think? Um, <laughs> he's on the score sheet again, and his goals are impressive too. Um, nice sort of cut back, and it was behind his body. Difficult finish when it's behind your body like that. You got to slow, slow your, um, slow your roll, and it's difficult to get over. Often those goes over the bar, but yeah, good technique near the top of the ball, and a great finish. Um, a penalty here that we need to discuss. So um, the. It, it was Everton's second goal, the penalty that which Richarlison scored, um, the Ward handball. So jumped up, header, straight down onto his arm, which is by side, penalty. I mean, this is one of those ones you spoke about at the top of the running order, isn't it? I just think that's ridiculous. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous. Like, what can he do? Like, otherwise, he can't jump. Like, he can't jump like a penguin. Yeah. It's just so- ridiculous. Yeah, and and the distance from the header to him is like two yards. It's just, he can't do anything at that point, and it's headed straight down onto his arm. It's yeah, it's it's unreasonable. Um, and Everton get the penalty, get the rub of the green. Richarlison finishes it. And at what point are you saying that Everton is the real deal and can challenge for a Champions League spot? Not after beating Crystal Palace is the point that I'm not saying it. Um, but look, it's three in a row now. They're the second. Um, I think second we all know. Boxes, mate. Don't yeah. make that mistake again. <laughs> no, no, no. They are second. Um, now, I, I, I don't think they've done enough yet to say they're the real deal. I think they have Liverpool this weekend. So that will be. Um, then if they win next weekend, absolutely, with my blessing, you can say that they are the real deal. Yeah, see, I don't think they're the real deal either. I think the, the teams um, that they're beaten 
are rather underwhelming and they are beating teams that they should beat. But, yeah, I just think that it, it is a little bit too early. So that they've beaten Palace, um, West Brom, and uh, not ready Spurs in round one. So, yeah, too much too soon. Yeah, so they got Liverpool on the 18th. So they, if they if they undefeated going into Liverpool, so they got Brighton next week, who I think are better than people think they are, um, and then Liverpool the week after. If they've got if they're five and zero, then they're the real deal, and we can start talking about them for the European places. But um, like confident, the confidence they're going to get from this could be critical. So with other teams around them like Manchester United and Tottenham struggling, like maybe maybe they're closer than we think. Yeah. I was having a conversation today. I, I was saying that um, I think this early part of the season um, can really set up some teams or, or really knock some teams um, over as well. So I think if you're ready to go, you've got a nice run of fixtures like Everton do um, and you're, you're on the front foot, your, your squad's ready, um, you can pick up a lot of points and, and really set up your season Um and, and really make a challenge in whatever your goals are, whether that be to avoid relegation or, or to push on for a Champions League spot. But that go, goes the other way as well. So if you're not ready, dropping points here and there, um, yeah, it can, if you're in the title race, it can you can really just – the pace is just so hot. Um, you could just really fall away here and, and your title chase could be done in the matter of a couple of weeks just because you, your squad isn't fit and ready or, or, you know, you had a suspension or, you know, the guy that you brought in um, to make the difference, um, you know, couldn't get the deal done fast enough, it didn't start until week two and things like that. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, your, your Spurs, I can see how their season could really start slipping away from them. You know, if Bale's not back for a while and, you know, by the time they get up and running, um, we could be in round six or seven and they're just so far off the pace that, you know, you just can't, you can't do anything from there. So speaking of teams who are in that position and off the pace and struggling, so we've got Burnley nil, Southampton won. This was the game to skip, but Danny Ings does it again. Yeah, don't skip it or at least watch the first four minutes and then tune off because Ingsy pops up in the fourth minute um, to get the winner. I don't want to spend too long on this game. Two teams which are rather underwhelming, although I do enjoy watching the Saints um, when they're flying, um, but they can be a bit off as well. But, yeah, Burnley doesn't look good. Um, Southampton just looks slightly better than them and, um, yeah, got it done and, and onwards and upwards for them. Looks very bad for Burnley. They've got a bit of an injury crisis and they're 0-2. If you'd watched the rest of the game for 85 minutes, you would not have seen another Southampton shot on target. So if you skipped it, well done. So let's move on to the team that battered Southampton last week. Tottenham won, Newcastle won. What what was the talking point of this game for you? Was it Sun's injury, Nuno Santos getting sent off, pulling Harry Kane off the referee? Like what? What took the cake for you in this one? It's got to be the pen, doesn't it? The oh, absolute it's a similar thing we spoke about at the top. Um, yeah, just un- unbelievable. There's no need to have that penalty in there. And I think it. What makes it worse is that Spurs were dominant, deserved the win, did everything right, apart from probably their finishing could have been slightly better. They could have been out of sight, but yeah, um, defended well, dominated the ball, got their goal. Were leading, and then just these daft VAR handball rules come in, and I think that's, as I said, that's what makes it even. It feels even more unjust that they that they got the penalty. But yeah, I think like Spurs are just struggling at the moment. I wrote, I wrote down this stat that they played four games in ten days in three different countries. 
gets worse this week too. Like they've got Chelsea on Tuesday in the Caribbean Cup, Maccabi Heifer on Thursday, and then Manchester United next Sunday. Um, so it's not looking good. And Sun's injured. Gareth Bale's not fit. Um, but like they they dominated on the weekend. Like let's not take away from that. Like they were absolutely dominant. But that VAR call that was just ridiculous. And I hate it when people say like those good footballing men and those dinosaurs and they're like oh it looks like you know the referee hasn't played the game that for me was an example of someone who doesn't understand football like making that call like they have a great interpretation and understanding of like the rule book but doesn't get football i agree with that comment on the surface but i think if you dive a little deeper all the referees are doing are um are being told what to do by a directive um and the Premier League, who then gets it from FIFA to say, this is handball and this is now not handball. And then all that's happening is they're interpreting the penalty and, and giving it and awarding it. But I don't. I think if you were to genuinely ask these referees if they enjoy handing out like ridiculously um, penalties in that manner, they wouldn't agree with it on the surface. And, and, and you're probably right that um, in no other way, shape, or form is that a pen or does it influence the game. But I think their hands are tied. Like if you read the rule, yeah, that absolutely. is the rule. But it's just ridiculous. And I want to change, but, I mean, you just can't change it halfway through a season. So I, I probably agree with um, Brucey's comments at the end of the game where he he, um, he mentioned um, that they they did not deserve anything out of this game. Um, he, he said that we were lucky to get the penalty. Um, he goes, I don't think it was a penalty, but he's like, in my situation, you have to take it. You have to get the point because the chances are fast forward two weeks and you're on the other end of it. Yeah. Um, a daft decision. So I completely agree with Brucey. Um, and he was saying that some of the managers need to get together and just go to the Prem or whether it be the coaches or the managers or whatever, get together, go to the Prem and say, hey, th- this is not working. This is not what our game is about and this is not how it should be interpreted. And, and something needs to change because it's ruining the spectacle and a clear result that um, Spurs should have won um, is being overturned by just, yeah, Darth Penno in the late doors. But the referees are just afraid to not give a call now. Like if some, if there's any semblance of the ball getting anywhere near – and like we're not even talking just a hand anymore. Like it's anywhere on an arm. Like we need to get to a stage now where we're going to tie the arms to players' sides and you'd probably still give pens. Like, it's just gotten ridiculous. Yeah. There's no way you can defend and not have your arm, not be running or go up for a header and not have any elevations on your arm. Like, it just... No. Like, you can't run. Like, you cannot run without moving your arms. And it's going to be quite comical if they try and... Like, like it's just gotten ridiculous. Yeah. So, what we need to go back to is um, the the words of deliberate handball where I think some of these free free kicks and penos more recently wouldn't be given under that interpretation because um, Dyer's jumping and he's got his back turned and he, he just can't see it. So, yeah, I just don't think there's any chance that um, that was a material impact on the game. But no. I, I agree it's dangerous. All, all they've done is they've just gone black and white. They've gone if it hits your hand in the penalty area, it's a penalty. That, so I think that's what you know. Fans initially cry out for oh black and white. We just want black and white playing. Yeah. Simple. Well, now they've done it. Yeah, you've got like, it. That's not handball. Um, which is, yeah, I probably agree with them. But then you, the alternative is to go to interpretation, and then then you don't get the consistency. So then in two weeks' time, when um, yeah, when 
Brucey gets that call uh, against him, it doesn't happen. It's not just, but yeah, something needs to be done. Um, and I don't think we're going to solve it on this pod. Mm, I disagree. I think we can at least offer some helpful suggestions. But yeah, look, Tottenham absolutely robbed there. Brucey's boys will take a point at Spurs any day of the week. Um, but the the newly promoted side leads. Let's talk about Leeds United versus Sheffield United. Now, you said to me off air that you didn't rate Patrick Bamford at all this year, but he's picked up his third goal of the season already. And the league's great entertainers, they're flying. They're flying. Some of the, so the performances are really good and now results are starting to click um, as well. So, yeah, it looks, looks good for Leeds. Um, depends really what their ambitions are. I think some people just want them to survive. Some people want to kick on. So Bielsa's boys are looking good. Um, Bamford with the goal. And there was a lot of talk of um, whether Leeds will bring in, now that they're in the Prem, would bring in uh, another striker. And if they were going to spend money in any area, that would be it. They'd bring someone in up top and that would be potentially it for Bamford. But he did so well in the championship last year. So I'm glad to see him keep his spot. I'm glad to see Leeds keep their money in their pocket, which is a very different approach to what, they, what they're used to, or at least the last <laughs> time they were in the Prem. Um, but yeah, too good for Chef United. And I'm really starting to worry for Chef United and Chris Wilder. So three games, no points, no goals. At what point is Chris Wilder in trouble? I think he's got enough goodwill in the bank to see out the season, to be honest, no matter what happens. Really? No. Yeah. Oh, I think I last year's... You can't be gone. Yeah, I, I think it'll be very late. Like, I don't think we're going to see any Watford-type scenarios where they're going with three majors. I think they'll give him as long as they possibly can um, with the amount of goodwill he built up last year. But... Um, yeah, I think they're they're in they're in a little bit of trouble. But this was a really entertaining game for a one nil. Um, there seemed to be just an absolute shed load of chances and shots, and the the goal was like, I, I really enjoy a good cross and headed goal. That was a beautiful ball in, and you can't do much more with the header from Bamford. That was I think this is a really entertaining game, and I think the most impressive thing about Leeds too in this game was like they. They controlled the ball like they they imposed themselves on Sheffield United a bit. And Sheffield United, they're like they're a wily Premier League team, especially after last season. But I think Leeds really like they just looked better. Um, they looked the the part. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's not it is nice to see um, Leeds control the game and, and sort of come up to this level, but still, yeah, as you say, impose themselves and control the game. Next for Leeds is um, Man City and then Wolves, so. They're up to sixth, um, and they've got some tough games ahead. Let's hope. Let's hope they can can uh, control their finances as well as they control their play this time around. Um, so, look, still to come this week is uh, Fulham versus Aston Villa. So that that's a very important game for those two teams. Um, and then the big one, Liverpool versus Arsenal. Um, I think we've spoke about that already, but I'm really we have. About we have and um, a good kickoff time if you're um, in Australia. So, but Liverpool with a couple of um, injury worries. So apparently Thiago is carrying a little bit, and um, Allison um, will be out as well. Allison's out. Mm. Oh, does that mean Adrian comes in, or is Carius yeah. the number two? Nah, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian. <laughs> oh no, they got some howls in him. They lose a bit when they lose Allison, don't they? Tell you what, I don't, I don't mind Arsenal, and Arteta's, Arteta's proving himself to be quite the tinker man. Um, oh, this could be an upset. 
Oh, I'm smelling an upset here. Really? So you tipped Liverpool um, on the last pod, and then now we've recorded Wait, the another pod. The world's changed. Moisey's got COVID. Allison's out. Stuart Pearce is back in the dugout. Things are different since the weekend. Yeah, all right. So, shall we move on to uh, transfer chat? Shit, times are desperate now. So, oh. I think the window closes in two weeks, I think. And the most interested man out there is Sean Dyche. So, Burnley are in the midst of an injury crisis. So, they've gone after Ryan Christie at Celtic. Um, and I think that's more based on they need players right now. Like, they need men in boots. So, that should be good. Boots. Man that should be good. Um, uh, one of the quotes I really enjoyed from Daishi, um during the week was um, they were like, oh, um, a lot of these teams are signing all these players. Um, you know, you need some players. Um, what type of budget do you have? And he said, jokingly, um, oh, I've got a big budget. Yeah, um, I've spoken to the board and I've got a budget. You know, I've got all the money I need for cones <laughs> and bibs. <laughs> And then he had a real chuckle to himself. So that's good from Daichi. Yeah, well, he needs to pull his finger out because they are injury hit and looking desperate. But uh, Manchester City have responded to <laughs> performance against Leicester City by lashing out between 50 and 65 million pounds on another centre back. Um, so I look forward to him being hilariously exposed by City's playing style. But what do you, what do you think of Ruben Dias? Yes, yeah, so I don't really know and much about him really, but um, yeah, twenty three. So I think that would explain the sixty five million um, price tag. And I I thought that yeah, Man City did have to bring in some defenders um, and and strengthen that back line. But since you sort of enlightened me on that point, where I probably agree with you to the extent that it doesn't really matter who they bring in. I think. It doesn't matter how good the defenders are. They're just so exposed. So, I mean, as I said, Van Dijk and Ramos wouldn't look good at centre-back for Man City because you're going to have players running at you and you're going to have no one in front of you to protect you um, and no support either side from the wing-backs because they've moved on or they've done that weird thing where they tuck inside um, when you get the ball. So, yeah, I, I think if you're Man City, why not? you got to have some money, so bring in everyone you need. Pep Guardiola was whining about um, players just before the the last game, saying he's got so many injuries and um and you know he's struggling. He's only got thirteen first team players fit and stuff like that. But I mean, no one really um, shared a tear for him when he um, had uh, Mares, uh, Phil Foden, and Sterling in his front three on the weekend. So yeah, um, he got spanked and he's he's panic buying. So I'm saying, and um, there are ch- chance of a board fraud getting around. Yeah, no, he's uh, it's tough times for Pep, and I really feel for him. Um, but Otamendi's going the other way, so he might get some revolving door. He's off to Benfica, isn't he? <laughs> he's off to Benfica, so he's going the other way for Ruben Dash. So it's one of those creative accountings where Ruben Dash goes for sixty-five million, Otamendi goes for goes to Benfica for thirteen point seven. So Manchester City can fit in financial fair play, and their owners can go back to whatever they do, um, extracting oil or whatever. So everybody wins in this scenario. But it's going to be sad as a Manchester United fan. It's going to be very sad to see Otamendi go. Um, he was renowned for quite his calamitous mistakes, um, and I personally will miss that. Uh, will you miss Nicholas Otamendi? Uh, just only that he's a banter centre-back, that's all. <laughs> and he has towers in him, and I know there's goals every time he's playing, but 
I mean, if you're him, yeah, you've got to move on. I mean, it didn't work out for you at City. He had plenty of chances to make it work and he, uh, he just couldn't get it done, um, whether that's down to, to him or the playing style, which we've already mentioned. Um, we will never know. But I think if you're him, yeah, good to move on. Get some game time because he has been sitting on the bench a lot and he slipped right down the pegging order. Um, so you had Garcia um, playing before him. They've just brought Ake in, in front of him. I think Stones was in front of him. Fernandinho plays instead of him. Um, and then if they're going to bring in another centre-back, I think the writing's on the wall. He's sort of, you know, what's that, sixth choice centre-back. So, yeah, he may as well move on. I reckon the moment that um, John Stone started in front of him was the moment he knew his time was up. Um, but look, no, so that Benfica now have Otamendi and Ian Vertonghen, so looking good for Benfica if you don't mind a, a bit of a flutter on the Champions League in the group stages, just maybe a win. It's a pretty good defence. But on to the next centre-back. So Antonio Conte is looking to consider bids for Milan Skriniar. So Spurs are trying to sign the centre-back apparently for $60 million. Can Spurs afford it? I've seen the documentary. I don't think they can. Yeah, well, my question would be, can Conte um, afford it? That that'd be the next question, wouldn't it? I mean, they're not renowned spenders. I know Spurs can afford it because they just haven't spent a lot of money recently. Don't know. If, I don't know if interview will to let him go either. He's pretty handy. Um, but I, like, I, I don't think there'll be much in this one to be honest. Um, I don't think Jose will get what he wants. I think Levy will sell him something cheaper. He might end up with a John Stones. Who knows? I mean, it fits. It fits the um, the model of um, Juve. I mean, um, yeah, fits the model. Yeah, Inter. Yeah, sign Premier League rejects. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the next one is still no transfer action, but Deli Ali left out again on the weekend. Surely he's on the way out. Well, I think at this stage, what needs to happen is he needs to agitate for a move to get out of there, or at least go on loan so you can play and put yourself in the shot window. But it doesn't look like he's going to get any game time anytime soon at Spurs, and I can't see how any other clubs would really want to come in for him. Do you think? No, well, he hit, like Sun's injured now, so he's a chance for getting game time. Sun injured, Bale not fit. Um, I think I think he's a chance, and there there is these. Mourinho redemption stories, which we've all come accustomed to. So there is a chance of that. But, yeah, I don't think – I just don't know where he's going to go. So I think he's just going to sit there and moan for a couple of weeks and then come back and hopefully things work out for him. He's, he's such a good player. It's just – it's so weird. It, it must be something Mourinho doesn't like because, yeah, I think he's not – he's definitely not done as a player and he's got a lot to offer. So I don't see why um, Mourinho can't make it work or it, it must be something a little bit deeper, I think, but only Daly knows, I think. Um, so Sheffield United, so zero goals, as I said. They are rock bottom of the Premier League. What do you do? At that point, you got to you got to bring in Daniel Sturridge. Is this a good move? <laughs> Problem solved, isn't it? So Dan- Daniel Sturridge, he's, he's only 31, and I actually am genuinely surprised by that. He seems to have been around forever. Um, but I believe he was recently stood down um, after he had a bit of a run-in with a betting company. So um, I don't think he's played in – well, he hadn't played in four months, probably five months ago. So he hasn't played in probably nine months. Um, so I don't think this is the answer for Sheffield United. Um, he, he had fitness problems already. So yeah, I agree. It's not the it's not the answer for um, Sheffield United, but I think um, you're going to get him on a free. Um, he he has scored some goals in the past, so I think you may as well roll the dice and offer him a a play and pay contract to get something out of him. And hey, if you do get something out of him, great. Um, 
yeah, you they definitely need the goals. But if you don't and he gets injured, um, which I'm sure he will, it's, there's nothing lost either because you haven't spent all that on a transfer fee and he's on a pay-and-play contract. So, yeah, I think they need to do something. So I'm glad they're doing something. I'm not sure Daniel is the answer, but I wish him well. And, so, yes, he did get in trouble for um, <laughs> betting. He gave a tip to a cousin about where he was going to go and play next. Oh, really? I wonder if he has a tip for him now. Gives a bit of insight. Um, so, look, now we move on to Manchester United. So, we've got three Manchester United deals this week. So, fantastic news for United fans. So, Manchester United have agreed um, personal terms with Tellez from Porto. So, he's a left back. Quite exciting. They've agreed personal terms again with for- and forgetting to agree a deal with the club. What do you make of this? And have Manchester United actually forgotten how to do a transfer? Well, not so long ago you were praising um, Ed and now you're on his back. So I don't know. I think you need to make up your mind. I think this spells bad news for your boy, the food machine, Luke Shaw. I think this um, if this deal gets done, um, I think, yeah, he, his spot is obviously really on the line and I can't imagine that um, his performances are going to keep that um, steady anytime soon. No, nah, so I think good news. We need another left back. Um, it's not working out there. They have to change something. Um, and if they can get this over the line, apparently there's a plan B, but for God's sake, boys, just finish plan A. So Jaden Sancho, still no new bid. Apparently they're going to bid again this week, um, even though they haven't bid it for the past month because they think that they're in a stronger position. Um, do you think they'll actually put a bid in or is this one dead in the water? I think they'll put a bid in. I think if you're United, you'd be crazy just to um, let the deal go because you know he's got some interest in, in leaving. Um, you just got to get the, the numbers right apparently. But, uh, yeah, I think... I would. It'd be a shame for United to um, walk away from this deal after um, you know going so deep and putting so much cash on the table. But I think a lot of people are saying, "What is the point of buying Sancho if you don't haven't sorted out your defence anyway? Like you're just going to lose games four three and things like that, or draw games three all." So yeah, I think United are at a bit of a crossroads. But yeah, it looks like they're really throwing money behind Ollie um, to support him. But we'll see what happens here. I think we're going to have to move to um, a news title that says if anything actually does happen because I feel as though we report, hey, no news on this, keep going. Yeah. You know that um, everything is okay, Alain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, no new bids. Um, so, look, there is there is some transfer news again at Manchester United. So this time it's an outgoing. So, Andreas Pereira is going to Lazio potentially on a loan with an option to buy. Good news for everyone. Yeah, good news for everyone. I spoke about this when Donny came in that there's just so much stiff competition for spots in that centre midfield um, at Manchester United and I think, yeah, Pereira would, um, yeah, he just dropped down the pecking order. He was already outside the first team plus with a couple of additions and Pogba being fit again. He He's no chance of getting game time. So I think, yes, a very good move for him. Good for Lazio um, and good for Manchester United. Yeah, so I think, I think this is good. Um, I actually don't mind Andres Pereira as a player, but um, he just came into United team at the wrong time um, under the wrong manager. So I think it's good for everyone if he heads off to Lazio, and I think the Serie A will probably suit him. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him as like a half-decent player in three or four years. Um, yep. And, and so Leeds are trying to punch up here, aren't they? What are Leeds up to? Uh, Leeds, they've been linked with um, – so <laughs> I'm going to get this wrong, but it's Michael Cusance. 
from Bayern Munich. So he's a former Champions League winner. Um, he was on the bench, unused substitute. But still, I think that's a, a savvy little signing for Leeds. Again, a signal of intent from Bielsa. And they must have the best scouting network in Europe right now because they just seem to find players who fit. Um, what do you or, think? Or they watched the biggest club game all year and saw him on the bench and thought, yeah, we'll buy him. Get him in. One or the other. But no, I think it's good. It shows ambition from Leeds. I think if they can actually pull it off, that'd be great. Um, and yeah, who, who's not excited to see um, a player like him come to the Prem and especially play for Leeds where he's going to play every week. So yeah, looking forward to it. So he was the Borussia Mönchengladbach player of the season at just 19. So I think he's got some runs on the board. So he's quite exciting. But the last one is, um, I know a lot of the pod fans are huge fans of this man. Eden Dzeko is going to Juventus to sit on the bench behind Ronaldo. What do you think? Good move? Waste of money? No, well, he was playing all the time, wasn't he? Where, where at was Roma. he? At, so he went from Man City to Roma, yep. played all the time, did did rather well, and Roma went rather deep in it. They had a little Champions League run, not last season, the season before. So, yeah, a little bit of an odd one that he's going to, to Juve, but... Um, Obviously, Ronaldo is going to start it all the time. So, yeah, he's going to play second fiddle for, to him. But I think there is room at um, Juve um, for another striker. Um, and they, they were looking at Suarez as well when they did bring in. So, after that deal fell over um, <laughs> with the old um, Italian test um, mm. <laughs> being defrauded. Um, yeah, so I think, like, if you're, if you're Jekko, yeah, why not there? Go there and. Um, win a Serie A title, um, but yeah, not a lot of game time coming his way, I don't think, because the King will play whenever he wants to play. Yep, so let's move into the mailbag. Oh, you ready? Let's do it. You've got mail. You've got mail. Big week in the mailbag, so we've already had one, which was um, a rant from one of our listeners, so thanks for that, Tim. Um, we've got another question now. So... Um, he didn't mention he liked the pod, didn't mention what type of listener he was, didn't even mention his name. So it says, do you, <laughs> do you think they should shut down the Prem if cases take off more than they already are, if only like 40 people are dying each day? We know that athletes aren't going to be adversely affected and to their bodies, it's basically the flu. Paul Pogba's form tells me it's more than that. But just as an indicator, today in the UK, there were 5,693 new cases and there have been 42,000 deaths. What do you think? It's a tough one, isn't it? Part of me thinks that if it does get back out of hand, the UK will need to go back in, down into lockdown, and that does include the the players. But part of me thinks that if that's the case and you need people to stay home, um, one of the things that you do need um, for the, the mental health and the, the sort of identity of the country is to keep the Prem going. So the Prem might have to move to more of a, a bubble-type model um, which I understand would be very difficult, especially with the European fixtures um, being played. But, yeah, I just don't think that the athletes should have to do it. It looks like that most of the clubs um, have it in hand. And one thing that I heard one of the presidents say is that um, we the players are better off playing and coming in every day because we test them all the time. So if, if, they, are, if they do get sick, they'll know straight away um, especially if they're asymptomatic because they're getting tested anyway. So they'll identify that anyway. So they're actually safer being at the clubs um, and, and being tested all the time and training and playing than if they were all to sort of go off and, and they end, end the season or pause the season. Everyone goes off and does their own thing 
um, mingles and then, yeah, you, players are more likely to um, to get it because they're mingling with other people um, and they're not as safe in terms of the immediate medical help and the testing all around them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one but, um, yeah, that's what I think. What, what do you think? Shut down or, or play through it? I don't know if they have a finite number as to when they would shut down. I think that we're getting to the stage now where the UK seems to not have things under control and I think there's a wider societal impact as well because test kits are crucial and obviously as our listener alluded to, it doesn't seem to have as significant an impact on athletes' bodies as it does for the elderly or the immunocompromised. So if all the test kits are being used up um by the Premier League clubs, you wonder if that's the best place and the like the wider impacts for society if we're using all the test kits on our professional sports people. I personally would hate if they shut the Premier League down for 28 days or so just to try and get things under control. But there is a wider societal problem that needs to be sort of looked at too. Um, and as sad as it would be, if that needs to be the case, then I think they, they're going to have to start thinking about it just for the, just for the optics of it as well. Um, where the rest of the country is going to go into lockdown, but we're like creating bubbles for our sports stars. But you're right too. England needs a Premier League. Like, they yeah, really well, need it. they do. But the other thing to say on that is, it's not. It won't be down to the Premier League to choose. Will it? It'll go to like the government will say, um, "This is what we're doing. We're in now in lockdown, and they they'll shut everything down." Um, they're not the ones to. Um, push through I don't, I don't think i wouldn't be surprised if another country say one of those opportunistic nations threw their hand up and said we'll host you um we'll have a bubble i think that'd be that'd probably be the best case scenario to be honest one of the countries i don't know sound like australia that doesn't have as many covid cases um and potentially they could go and start a bubble or a hub there and that yeah. would be fantastic but it'd be terrible for viewing times well, viewing times back in the UK, well, yeah, I wide. think <laughs> everywhere outside like, Australia. Yeah, I think if they're going to do a bubble, they do. They go out to like um, Abu Dhabi or, or somewhere like that. I think. I think in terms of cash, um, those those type of countries, you could do Qatar. Even they've got all the infrastructure; they're ready for the World Cup. So, yeah, and a great history of human rights. <laughs> I thought I thought you were pro Trump. I swear you've said you were pro Trump on earlier. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's that's all we've got for the mailbag. Um, so thanks everyone. So if you want to get in touch, that is uh, football played on paper at gmail.com. Facebook is football played on paper. Instagram is at football played on paper and twitter at football on pods. Don't forget to go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating, please. All right. Let's let's have a chat about Colo's multi. Colo's multi. It's starting to fall over. And then I think what we're going to do here is we're going to give Colo one more week and he needs to give us something or at least show a bit of promise next week. <laughs> well, we're going to chop, honestly, we're going to chop the segment, Colo's multi, and it'll be, insert name here, multi. So, Colo, you've got one week to show us something, mate. Yeah, um, so- Thursday, I'm expecting the... Uh, expecting a text with a, a multi and it better be something juicy for the listeners. <laughs> we're getting crushed out here. Um, so he's gone for uh, Man City to beat Leicester and, of course, that fell over. Um, yeah, he went for Chelsea to beat um, West Brom and, again, that fell over. He went for Man U to beat Brighton and that came through. Was that paid at full time? 
Was that paid yeah. at the first full time? Yeah, or was that paid I don't after? know. Lots of multi cell still pending, but yeah. <laughs> still um, and the last one he had was um, Spurs to get done against um, Bruce's boys, but no, again, VAR ruined that one. So, Colo, you're officially on notice. Um, one, one more week, and I'm not expecting a win. I'm not expecting like a 10 leg multi. I'm expecting a bit of promise. At least get me eight legs there, and then fall over late doors and give the give me some promise. But no, nah, tough week, tough week. Next week it'll be Liverpool head to head. Just to get something, just to get the confidence back up. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's All right, very good. Any more? We're done. All right, we're done. See you guys.